January 27, 2019, from Coolidge, the land of the brave. <laughs> I have some preparatory remarks this morning. Hopefully it will get your blood to flowing from, from anger or something, whatever it takes to get the blood to flowing. I want to first of all mention that in Daniel's class, uh, or in Neil's class on Daniel chapter 10, I'll have a statement to make. Preparatory drama in its various scenes are the cradle, and out of that cradle comes the declaration 14 verses later. Now think about that. You have 14 verses of preparatory drama. In all of its scenes, Daniel affected, others affected. But that is as vital as the declaration that he makes about what he's going to be talking to Daniel about in verse 14. Don't... That's a great way to teach a class, folks. The preparatory drama before you get to your point. Build it up. Build on it. Because that is as important as the declaration. Sometimes people say, well, just get to the point. Well, if you're dealing with controversy, my philosophy, philosophy is I give people my point first and then I go back and try to provide evidence for that point but here we're not dealing with controversy we're dealing with the declaration of God and when God makes a declaration he has a preparatory drama remember that and the drama is just as vital as the declaration it gets you Realizing the seriousness and the importance of where God is going. Don't discount the drama. And it's a part of God's dimension of us revealed to us about ourselves. Hey, of course, you caught that. Yes. It could even be called anticipatory. Well, that might because even be a better word. It, it starts and it builds and it builds and it builds, and by the time you get there, man, I'm ready for this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we're dealing with a controversial issue, I usually state what my point is and then, then go on to how I got there so that I don't leave people wondering, well, where is he going? But when God speaks, we're not dealing with that issue. When God's making a declaration or when we are making a declaration, folks, every class, if you had the time to prepare the drama so that when your question is raised, the answer is given to that question raised, everyone is in anticipation yeah. Yeah. of what it is. You know, that would be a great class in hermeneutics yeah. or homiletics, I mean. Also in hermeneutics, one is the preparation of delivery and the other is how to study the scriptures, hermeneutics. 
Now, that being said, forgive me if I infringed on your territory, but I just had to, no I got to thinking about that this week. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. Just, um, just really think about, because it, it, we don't find out what, what Daniel is going to be, uh, what is going to be said to Daniel until he gets to verse 14. Yeah. And a lot of goes on. I mean, 21 days, 27 days. I mean, several days go by. And, uh, of course, the suspense is mounting. So the chapter starts with him and just the absolutely down in the dumps. Oh, yeah. yeah. Terrible, terrible situation. Yeah. Emotionally, physically. Yeah. yeah. He can't even eat. He can't even eat. He's an no. old man. Yeah, I mean, I we offered the guy possum and he didn't take it. I mean, he was bad off. And then I talked about, well, let's let's not go there. Okay. But you know, it's a great way to write a story. But it takes a lot of thought and preparation. I was thinking about how to write a motorcycle story in that principle of building the suspense. But you know, there's a way to do that, maybe occasionally. Maybe you couldn't all the time. But think about uh, preparing your audience with an element of suspense, and then you come down to your last paragraph and you hit them right between the eyeballs. Hard. <laughs> That's what God does. Mm -hmm. All right. Number two. That's item number one. I want to say this because there are always issues, and I have said this before. I've just got s several... Uh, uh, introductory preparatory statements today whatever originates with God is by its origin spiritual anything that originates with man a religious system or anything else uh, is carnal I'm not sure that carnal is the right word but if you grasp my meaning for now We'll, we'll fine-tune the terms. Um, th that includes uh, the beginning of something. If it begins with God, if it originates with God, it, by its origin, it is spiritual. That includes its purpose and its demise. So he can say on one hand, the earth is spiritual in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, because it was God-breathed. It was spiritual, had a spiritual source. It began with God. All matter is spiritual because it has a spiritual origin. It makes me think about the lessons that we had about finite and infinite. That's right. It's along the same patterns. It is. You want to expound on that? No, I, no but I, carnal is yeah, finite. Right, yeah. And spiritual Absolutely. may or may not be infinite. It depends on by design and purpose. But with um, this matter, we're dealing with something's origin. So the law in Romans is spiritual, but it is very physical. But it ended because God originates something that has a beginning that is what gave it a spiritual origin and he can have and it fulfills a spiritual purpose which was what 
to bring forth the Messiah. To bring forth the Messiah, and when that has been accomplished, it can end, and it is it was still a spiritual law because it originated with God, and He can determine His purpose and He can determine its ending. The same is true with the universe. The universe had an origin with God, therefore it is spiritual. All elements of it are spiritual. He has a purpose for that, which was the resolving of the sin problem that began in heaven, and that's in your lessons earlier. And it can also include the demise. That's why we have, what, two laws. The first and second law of thermodynamics, the second one being the law of entropy, that all things are deteriorating and losing the availability of operable energy. You got that, Mary? <laughs> okay, give it back to me in five minutes. <laughs> well, there was one thing I was confused about. Okay. If you said, you know, the world was cre- is created by God, and, and matter, and that which is created by man is carnal, isn't what is created by mad, man oh. matter? Oh, the, oh, yeah. That, that's but right, but what I was, my, my error is that when I was saying what is created by man is the philosophy of man, not the creation, because right. okay. man doesn't create anything. Right. Uh, the, the, the religious systems that come emerge out of man wanting to sidestep some of the issues of God, that's carnal, out of a carnal mind. Yes. And he um, used the word originates, not created. But I did use the word originate. Whatever originates uh, yeah. with God is spiritual. Whatever originates with begins, man. has its genesis. And I wasn't referring to creation God. there. Yeah. Good, good clarification. See, if I hadn't have spotted you, why we wouldn't have had that clarification. See, I like that. Because about. because the thinking the thinking of God we also are to emulate. We are to emulate, and that's not matter. So it's a bigger it's a bigger subject than just creating physical things that we see. Yep. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna progress into another point here. And this is simply defining faith in a practical way. See, we've just defined what is spiritual. Spiritual is anything that is in accord with God's origin or what God has originated. It can be in purpose. It can be the design. Um, It could be in payment like the uh, Corinthians, uh, I believe it was, he said, you, you, uh, you have received spiritual things because they were spiritual, because they what? They originated with God and came through the apostles. And you have returned to them carnal things. And you've exchanged carnal things for spiritual things and making them both of equal importance. That's in 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter maybe 7 or 14. All right, enough said on that. Now, believing what God has said, that's, that's what determines what is spiritual, is its origin. You understand that, Mary? It's, it's got to be 
It has to originate with God. And Genesis 1 says that the Spirit of God was in the developing process of all of the physical universe, in my paraphrase. Now, believing what God has said, believing what has originated with God about things that we cannot see is faith. Anything that you can see is in violation of faith because it is seeable, touchable. So what God has said about things that we cannot see, that's subjective faith. That's our faith about toward what God has said about things we cannot see. Our faith towards the faith. Our faith toward the revelation or the faith in Jude 6. If it is seeable, it is certainty, and everything that is of certainty, also it is said that it is temporary. It may have originated with God, but if you can see it, it's still temporary. What does that say about the earth will never end? Theory. It doesn't match. The earth is winding down. Uh, the law of entropy is certainly taking hold. And eventually, uh, the energy sources of our universe, and I don't, I don't project into anything on that line, but eventually it's not intended to be here forever because it has served its purpose. Its general purpose was to deal with the sin issue that began where? In heaven. See how all that fits? And its purpose is the spiritual and part of it. it, it even, even in its design, which is to wither away and die, because that shows the, the, the opposition from spiritual things, um, it serves its purpose even, even, in its, uh, even in its deterioration. Even in its demise. Sure, it served its purpose. Um, so, now number three. These are not necessarily tied together, not sequential necessarily. But the church originates with whom? The church originates with, with whom? With Christ? Well, God, you know, or the mind of God, right? The church originated with the mind of God because he, he wanted to have a place designed that would be reflective of the situation of faith that everyone who was a part of did so out of no coercion, without coercion, without force without manipulation. So we are given a free, free, free mind to choose however we want to deal with what God has said. That constitutes the faith. That's objective faith. But society presents it as exactly the opposite. That's right. And that's the tragedy. And that's why I have to go over this so often, every year or two, every year I have to go over it once or twice, because we forget. And our listeners forget. 
So the church originates with God. Those who respond to that call, because the church means those who have been called by the gospel, have been called out and have responded to it, because it came from God, therefore that call is spiritual. And what it says to do is spiritual. If it says you have to climb a wall 400 feet tall, and you have to get a run at it, and, and before you get to the top, you have to get all the way to the top, or you're going to be lost and go to hell. If God said that, then you'd have to do it, because that would be spiritual, because it began with whom? God. You see, it's spiritual because it originated with God, and when he tells us to do something, he always tells us to do something that is physical. You can't do anything that isn't physical. We're in a physical world. That's nonsense. Total nonsense. No wonder people are so messed up. No wonder we can't get the world's problems resolved. But that leads me into my situation here. The church originates with God, and those who have responded to that which originates with God are called the church or the called out ones. Now, what is their pop? What is their purpose? One of their purposes is to demonstrate to the world how you can resolve issue within the body of Christ, within the church. It is never told to work on straightening out and correcting the problems of society. That has never been the church's objective, and it has been forbidden by God for Christian people to be resolved or, or to be involved in the correcting of the world's problems. Because that would mean that we don't have to have the church to do it. And that brings us back to human philosophy. And that is the sin of all sins. The church is meant to resolve society's problems within itself. In the Bible, we have a great example. How many of you folks own somebody? Own. 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 O-W-N. How many of you own anybody? Well, you do. You own me. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. But it's marginal. (laughs) But, you see, the, the, the church, the society that they lived in had a social problem, and that was slavery. Well, now we have a lot in the Bible talked about slavery, but it is never condoned, nor is it ever condemned. Was it, what, what is said about slavery? He tells the people in the church, not intended to be with, applicable to anybody or applicable to anybody outside the church, but within the body, those who were slave owners were to treat their slaves as human beings. And those who were slaves were to treat their masters as human beings. He solved the problem within the church. Now, why did that become a threat to the Roman Empire? Because when the people began to see what was going on in the church and that slavery was being naturally abolished, 
they rose up a persecution against the church because they had resolved the social issue. We have not resolved any social history, uh, social issue in my lifetime in the church. We don't even know what they are. We try to correct society. You can't do that. It will not happen. It cannot happen. And God would not allow it anyway because that's not how God functions. Now, folks, get that in your brain. You understand that? We have, the, the church must be the place where social issues are resolved voluntarily without coercion and as the byproduct of the faith which has been revealed to us on how we treat one another. We have no business dealing with social issues outside of the church. It would seem the easy way to deal with the social issue would be to bring those outside of the church into the church. That's exactly how it's meant. They're to join the called out ones. And here we have the authority of the scriptures to teach. But you know... We, the, the church has to demonstrate to the world that we're teachable. The first beatitude. You know, have to be teachable. We have to demonstrate that we are teachable. Not that they ought to be teachable, but that we are, and we do that by demonstrating it. David, by understanding what you just described, you therefore have a better grasp of the things that people like the Apostle Paul are saying when they're exhorting people, when they're encouraging people, when they're pointing them to the answer. Because isn't it the answer? Isn't that where the answers are? That's right. If we they take do. on the mind of God, we will... Those are the answers that originate with God. Yes. So they're the only ones that count. If you do it from that which has originated from man, you're just self-destructing. We're back to dealing with natural law again. Sure. And all these things, free will, it's at the base of it. Yep, that's the base. Without coercion. All right. Boy, David, this is a really, really good class. <laughs> we haven't started yet. Yeah. <laughs> good. I think we lost about three callers. I think they're pretty mad. Good, good, marvelous. You say that way they won't forget. <laughs> if they get mad enough to leave, you know, they'll remember it. And they'll eventually come back on their knees and we can get control of them that way. <laughs> okay. Now, I want to go back to Lydia in chapter, um, I don't know, chapter 16. You didn't, didn't want to get into Galatians here? Oh, I do. That's where I'm going now. You can go there now, Galatians 6. But to introduce what I'm going to do in Acts 16, I wanted to give you, uh, let me see. Oh, yes. I wanted to deal with verse 14 of Acts. You know, don't go there because we're going to skip. We're going to come back to there. But a certain woman named Lydia, a, a seller of purple, 
Now, here was a woman who was in the marketing business. She didn't. She was not a fabric producer. She was a fa fabric marketer. At least that's what I get out of the text. She was a seller. So she marketed a product. In Proverbs, we have a woman who marketed property. Not necessarily owned property, but marketed property. Uh, great, great uh, occupation. Anyway, and uh, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. Now, I want to talk about just briefly, before we get into our lesson this morning, this idea of worship. If you go with me to Galatians chapter 4, and I hope that it's verse 13. Did I say Galatians 4, mm -hmm. 13? Mm -hmm. How about 3? Yeah. How about verse 3? Verse three. See, this is what I get for going by memory. Oh, this is it. All right, so while we were children, have any of you ever been children? Or were you all go grown, full grown? <laughs> what is it? So, so, you see, that's the process. That process began with whom? With God. Therefore, that process is what? Spiritual. I want you to start getting these terms down. It began with, the process began with God. Therefore, that process is spiritual. Uh, we, we were held in bondage. Now, I want you to think about with me for a moment this idea of bondage. If, if you're in bondage, um, you're in and out. I mean, one hour you're in bondage, the next hour you're out of bondage, right? No. No. Uh -uh. Oh. Okay, give us, can you give me a Greek on that? Verse 3. Uh, verse 3. Okay, now I want you to look carefully. Uh, we don't need to get into the Greek words necessarily, but uh, uh, we need the word bondage. Right down there at the bottom. You see, it's a verb, and uh, the R stands for perfect, which means it's completed. Um, uh, it's ongoing, it's complete, it's just it's perfect, never ending. Passive, uh, you're in something that you don't have any control over, you're out of it, and it's a what? Participle. It's, it's describing the state. And the rest of that is, is not uh, relative at this point. But participial means it takes the, it's a verb that has been turned into an adjective. And it means, a, it's like a, a noun, is a state of being. It almost be, takes on a state of being. If you're in bondage, you're in bondage how many hours a day? 24. 24 hours a day. You don't walk in and walk out of bondage. It's a state of being. It's a state of being in that sense. Not the same sense as a noun. It's a description of, the, of a group of people who are in that state of being. That's right. It's a description because it's an adjective. It's a description of the, of the state 
that those people are in. Now, I want you to go to Acts 16. And why I've been harping for two weeks, or three weeks, well, maybe ten years, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on there is no place in the New Testament where the word worship is ever applied to an assembly. Yeah. You don't think that's significant? How many people go to worship today in Coolidge? Everybody but us. <laughs> well, how can you go to something that's a state of being? Well, maybe they don't know what the worship is. The rest of us are still struggling. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, look at the word worship here, and look at the Greek parsing on that word. He, she, she worshipped God. Now, it's not the same word, but it's, it's a verb form, and it's a participle. In this case, it's middle voice, which meant that who, who, who initiated the worship? She did. It's middle voice. Her choice. But it's a participle. And is it characteristic that it's feminine? Speaking about her. Because it's speaking about her. It's in concord. So. It's singular. And and of course, it just, just refers to her. So it's a participle, which means it too is a what? A state of being, just like bondage. You see, if the parsing is the same as bondage. We don't have any problem with understanding bondage. Why do we have such a problem with understanding worship? When it's not even a New Testament term ever applied to an assembly. And yet, well, I'm going to go worship today. Our worship service starts at 11 and ends at 12. Well, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody because, you know, yeah. we're just, we, we, we're, yeah. we're just, we've got to straighten up our language. Yeah. At the same time, we have to communicate with the people who are living in the same time frame as we are. And yeah. that's, that's part of it. It, there's not, it's not wrong in having a time set, no. except that what she was doing here, and, and now we can, go to, we can go to that chapter. Now, I have a lot more I could say on that, but I think we'll let that suffice. Except that to be a worshiper of God didn't mean that she was on and off. Or she was worshiping when she was in some places and not when she was in other places. Worshiping of God is like bondage. If you're in bondage, you're in bondage. And if you're in worship, you're in worship. And you you don't have a beginning and an ending. Well, but that's why we have prayer. That adds reverence. We see, that's why it's wrong to have a prayer. Because if, you're, if your prayer adds reverence to the Word and the teaching of God, there's something wrong with what God said. You think about that. Let me repeat that. I want to make sure you're mad and you have a reason for being mad. Is that sometimes we say, well, we begin and end with prayer. 
I'm not saying that's wrong. Maybe I should. But, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all guilty, equally guilty of this if, if it's wrong. But we begin and end with prayer because it adds an element of reverence. Well, if your prayer without any scriptural documentation can add reverence to what God has said, then it's wrong. And we need to quit it and cease it and walk out on it if we have somebody do it. Because it's not right. We have no scriptural preference or reference to beginning and ending any period of time in an assembly with or without a prayer. There is just no comment anywhere in the New Testament. We feel we have to do it because it adds an element of reverence to what God is going to say. How can you add reverence to what God is saying? You tell me that. You see, it's just downgrading what we do. It's just lowering it. So somehow what we say and how we open up Yes, you know, I feel the same way about the communion prayer and stuff. There's no example of that in the scriptures. We have simply Jesus telling people what to do. There was no prayer. We do it because we want to add an element of reverence to it. Folks, that's pagan. Maybe you should uh, give a definition to prayer as you're using it in this context? Um, well, I'm just using it in the general sense here as how the, the, the English vernacular use of the word. It, it's just used as a means of drawing God's attention to what we're doing. Mary, did you have your hand up? Isn't the goal, though, to have reverence yourself? Oh, I would agree with that. Oh, definitely. But not, you know, but reverence doesn't begin and end. That's what I'm, that's what I'm not advocating is, is that we, we don't, reverence, reverence is also, well, that's only used one time in the Bible, and it's reused for God. And you know what the word reverence means? What the word reverend means? It means terrible. Terrible? The Hebrew word reverend is God is reverend. That's used one time in the Bible, yeah. it means God is full of terror. Yeah. So if we said Reverend David or Reverend Neil? That would, that would mean we're terrible. Well, but, but that would be accurate. But that would be... <laughs> yeah, we we're talking wrath here, nothing else. Doesn't the whole thing that you're talking about come under the umbrella of uh, repentance? And getting in step? Yeah, every ten minutes. Right. Well, you see, that's yeah, that's the thing. You know, either you're in time with it or you're out of time with it. And you know, I I don't know about you, but I'll ask you. I, I can't imagine. You know, when you're on the freeway and your cell phone's ringing and you're working, you know, um, I'm not being reverent right then. I'm not worshiping. I'm not. I'm trying to stay alive, maybe. Oh, you but know? But, but that's a sense of reverence, is because you have a reverence toward life. 
Well, I agree. I, yeah, you know, and, I mean, there's a, there's, a lot in, there's a lot in this teaching, you know, but there are times when you do turn your, your thoughts and your attention to that. Oh, but, but to, but to, uh, uh, but to, to quit praying doesn't mean that we have stopped being reverent, rev, rev, to show reverence, or that we're not in worship, because we have to live. We have to, but living the whole, the whole umbrella, as you mentioned earlier today, the whole umbrella is your life. And in, in living, you have to eat. You have to go to the potty. No, no, most people do. Really. You know, and little children, you know, they just don't have any responsibility toward what they do when they're pooping. You and I should, if we can. But, I mean, that's a part of the gift of God, too. It's a process that has a divine origin and source. And we, we need to treat that. And I know, I don't like to, you know, when people... Uh, I, I've got a division in my, in my uh, part of my brain that out of the side of my truck, I have hydraulic levers that go out <laughs> and, and then a thing rolls out that's flat and when I pull alongside of a car, I can bump up against it and push it off because it's been detard, de- retarding my drive. They can pay the price. Oh, I've got it all figured out. Um, but you see, that would be in violation of worship, violation of reverence. But we think that somehow studying the Bible is more reverent than living the Bible. There's, there's no difference. We have to study it to know how to live it. But you have to study it. And, and so that's what the called out group was designed to do was to study it, to study the scriptures to learn how to make applicable living life in a corrupt society. That's why it's called ecclesia is called out. We don't do that. We just don't do it. Oh my. Um so I wanted to deal with this idea of worship that uh, I, because last week, you know, I, I made some pretty harsh statements that, that the, the, the people who have on and off stuff, they're the most Calvinist of them all because that's, that came out of Augustinianism that, that somehow we have to, this is a sacred part of life and this is a secular part of life. Folks, when you're a Christian and you're in Christ, all of your life is sacred. So you don't like it? Lump it. <laughs> okay. And, and so because she, she had this quality about her, she took God serious. The Lord opened her heart. He didn't open the heart just to open it, a lot of hearts need to be closed for repair. But he opened her heart for a purpose. He enabled her as a worshiper 
as a continuous worshiper of God, he opened her heart to enable her to respond to the things that were spoken of by Buddha. By Paul. By Paul. Oh, I mean, I mean, I missed that. And so the natural thing is that when she responded to that, what did she do in her household? She was baptized and had all of her servants and folks. Yeah, we don't know who all we don't know who all was in house her household, but they apparently had been part of this. And I want you to get this setting again, because that's all a part of the drama here um, of the earlier part of this, uh, which I didn't really emphasize as we came to it. But they went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. I think that's verse 13. And, and then we sat down. On the ground, I suppose. I suspect so. Or, or on rocks. Or, yeah. Um, and so here was a, a place. We don't know whether there was an audience or not. But, but before he could do anything, he had to sing a song. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> Mary, forgive me. <laughs> and they carried the black box. Oh, yeah. So any, anyway, they sat down and, and he began to speak to the women. Does it say place of prayer? No. In Greek? No, it does not. Uh, but you can check that out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we checked it out last week, didn't we? Does it say that she was listening in Greek? Because doesn't that have an entirely different? That means obey. Right? I, I, I didn't. It, I didn't quite hear that. It Mary. says she was. She was listening. She heard it. It, it, it says she heard. Says heard. Okay. Cause the, uh, okay, because then there she, it says she was listening, mm -hmm. which doesn't that mean she was obeying, obeying. Well, it, it's really with that intent, okay. mm -hmm. listening with an intent to respond. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and you have to you have to listen first before you know yeah, what to do. Well, we have the phrase, when we say to somebody, I hear you, that means we understand, we believe what they said, or we know enough to do something about yeah. it. Everything that's so, happening in this verse is all happening in the physical. In the, yeah, and um, yeah, from right. from Paul and Silas. He was on. thinking that um, this was this was a vital place because the word prosuke is used, yeah. and um, uh, and it's the place of vow making of commitment. People of commitment would be there, and. Uh, and, and then we sat down, no. sat down, and Paul sat down with this place that was probably predominantly women. I got a question to ask you in conclusion today. Where were the men? <laughs> Is that the question? Uh, well, no, not here because we don't know. That, that would be a legitimate question, but we don't know. 
uh, they may have been out in the fields or something. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, right. We, we don't know. Um, it was the Sabbath day. It did say. Oh, was it? On the Sabbath day. Okay. So that would have been Saturday for those folks. Yeah. So here you have a place that was a center of committed women primarily. Now we don't, the, the word gune there is the word for women. There is no word for wife in the Bible. The word gune means any means all female. So there is no distinction between a married woman and an unmarried woman in, in, in the sense of the grammar. But that's immaterial for now. Let me tell you this. Let me ask you this in conclusion. In verse 14, or verse 13 and 14, we have Paul sitting down and women had assembled there. The men may have assembled somewhere else. They, have may, they may have been in the synagogue. Um, some of the synagogues did not permit women, so women had their own place, and it was called a place of prayer. The word place isn't there, but the, prone, the, uh, the preposition would suggest that it was a place. Uh, you can't be in or out of something that doesn't exist. And he's not talking about a state of being, you can tell that by the context. And you can tell that by the context. So We've got one cradle here. That we've all part of one cradle. And coming, and then he speaks down, the question that, that I would have, he, he speaks, sits down, speaks to these women who had assembled in this particular place on this particular, at this particular time. And that's where his focus is. If you had been in Philippi, is that where we were? Um, I read. No, no, we, we were long gone. Yeah, we're still in Philippi. I thought they were in Macedonia. In verse 12. Yeah, Philippi. Oh, okay. uh-huh. From there to Philippi. Yeah, and so in Philippi, here, in this situation, would you have gone there? Would that have been where you were found? And because they were there, Lydia in particular, she had a sense of reverence toward God and then God gave to her who already had the roots of belief and reverence. He added to her the capability of understanding and of responding. But would you have been in that meeting? With Lydia, you mean? This meeting right here. Mm -hmm, the woman's Lydia. group? With Yep. Would you have gone out of your way to been in this group on that day, in that circumstance? Let's pray. Again, why? But we have to because we have to add reverence to what we've said. <laughs> but, Father, we are thankful for this time and for these people who are so eager to learn and may that always be the case we are committed to getting our heart as well as our mind around these scriptures in Jesus name amen